This ripple won't fade. It'll grow and grow until it's a tidal wave. Welcome, everyone, to the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast by Fantastic Geek, the official, unofficial voice of the Marvel Cinematic Community. My name is Matt, and joining me, as always, is Pete. Hello, Pete. We're friends, Matt. Well, maybe we're just acquaintances. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. episode 307, Chaos Theory, is brought to you by Ruthie's Diner. Nothing like her walk of shame scramble the morning after. Wow, how um, delicious? Oh, it was delicious, Matt. When we catch you up on what went down, our teaser begins in uh, Wailua Beach, Maui, six months ago. And uh, Andrew Garner is snapping pictures because he's worried by that time tomorrow they will be home. But... uh, Agent May has other things on her mind, like uh, what if she didn't return to S.H.I.E.L.D.? But the concept of this uh, reunited couple being older, wiser, and having new beginnings here cracks them up. A very lighthearted beginning here. Pete, we took some of the writing to task last week, and we'll discuss that later in the podcast. Uh and some of the the scandalous feedback upon that but in this episode it's the beginning of what ends up being a bookend situation here not only with the the andrew and may relationship uh, but also their time in hawaii and uh kind of a little sneaky there you just think it's a flashback and not kind of you know bookends to the overall the overall episode and indeed to their romance so uh well done there writers well done and there was a little bit of a wonky transition, which is cleared up later. We suddenly see, um, you know, Andrew is on the phone with Coulson, and he's thanking him for having shipped things from Afterlife, Jiang's uh, possessions here for research purposes, obviously with the Inhumans that Andrew is helping to, uh, you know, cope. And um, it seemed like this happened in... Maui, that he was doing some, uh, you know, research. I mean, S.H.I.E.L.D. could obviously ship stuff on the road there. Um, but later clarified, I just, I, I thought it was worth pointing out here early in the episode because, you know, I felt like maybe we were going to get the inhuman reveal, you know, the, the production of the show has been out in front that not everybody got it from fish pills. And uh, I know, Matt, you had run into something on Twitter because you had a uh, the slightest bit of technical difficulties as this scene was airing. Indeed, I did, which just as a as a quick anecdote, I have a wonderful, uh, you know, wonderful TV that I watch Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. on downstairs. It's only at moments when I'm turning on the TV late does it just decide not to turn on and I'll have to like unplug it, which means go behind the TV and pull out the power cord or, you know, the power strip and all that. And I'm just like saying, you know, fudge chocolate, fudge chocolate, fudge chocolate, as I know I'm missing the first 90 seconds or so. But uh, it was uh, it, it, it was nice to to have the, the Maui Wowie understood completely with uh, with help from Twitter. <laughs> but uh, 
coming across this and uh initially again it just seemed like dust not necessarily a booby trap which is clarified later in the episode and you know that the the flashback greatly enhances this early scene that uh this was how uh garner had uh transformed here and uh the the lasting image of this tease the knocked over picture of uh melinda may indeed foretelling bad things ahead of us as we head to the title card. Act one begins with uh, Daisy, uh, you know, really kind of setting the theme for this episode that inhumans are not monsters and Garner is in this scene. So, you know, we're, we're, we're on a meta level uh, several times throughout this episode with uh, some of the conflict, um, you know, talking about how inhumans are not a disease that uh, you can't expect people to readily be able to handle this type of transformation and knowing what we do through the dramatic irony certainly ups the ante. It, uh, it was maybe 101%. I don't want to say 101% more. It was 1% more. That's what I'm trying to say of kind of this meta, you know, uh, uh, you see, cause he's there, uh, type stuff that I would have preferred, but I mean, there's lots of great dialogue about the secrets, secrets that can eat you up from the inside. You know, Andrew is saying some of this stuff. And uh, as you say, Pete, it kind of is setting the, uh, setting the table for things to come, of course. Um, and I don't mean that in a critical sense. It's just, you know, clearly the episode is, is signaling we are going to deal with the Lash uh, storyline and the Lash I- issue in this episode. Yeah, and amidst discussion that, you know, uh, everyone doesn't deserve this this type of uh, transformation and, you know, they deserve a chance to figure out who they are. Um, obviously, it's Garner against uh, Lash here um, that, uh, you know, is, is the real internal conflict and... Uh, Colson is off to meet the president, so we've we've set up this uh, this meeting, which of course never takes place in this episode. But he's going to meet with them. He's scheduled to meet with the president at NORAD in Colorado, and that Price has brokered this um, meeting, despite the fact that Shield does not exist, as we're reminded. Um, but Garner is interested in uh, presenting. Uh, an inhuman case that is not extreme to uh, to these people potentially in the government, and uh, we're off to the races. Pete, I'm always one to ask that Agents of Shield maybe push the metaphors a little bit more. You know, we're kind of talking about a uh, you know people that are different on the inside, or they have a secret, and, and all that that could uh, could entail in our world. Uh, similarly, here we have. You know, kind of talk of a of a palatable role model that everyone could get used to. Uh, again, I'm I personally wish that the show was maybe giving that little extra bit to kind of say, you know, hey, we're making a you know a Jackie Robinson connection here, that type of thing. Flip side is that simply is not the flavor of this show. It's kind of there for the taking if you want to see it there, but it's not something that the show is kind of overtly doing. Going, wait, classic Star Trek. This half of his face is white and this half is black. And I am reversed because this is an episode about race 
and and the futility of racism like I, there's the flip side too which is agents of shield doesn't go over the top to interrupt what is always intending to be a a, a compelling action adventure show with you know characters that you care about and speaking of which as simmons is heading to the lab here um the idea of uh, secrets again eating up inside and now that she's laid everything on the table here uh, you know Fitzsimmons have this uh, this work cut out for them to try to uh, reconstruct the portal um, aboard the, uh, the Zephyr one here the subject of uh, the von Strucker kid and what may went through uh, we flash back to see what he said there about the monster. And uh, Bobby bumps into her and uh, telling her she hopes she stays and this discussion of the monster, which I think it was helpful in bringing Bobby in here because May wasn't in on this lash stuff just yet. Pete, normally it really irks me when a show does both previously on and then in the you know in act one we'll then have characters either through uh through dialogue or in this case kind of just you know thoughtful flashback to then flashback to stuff that that you know like you're either going to do a previously on or you're going to do oh my goodness did you know that five minutes ago last week uh, andrew was lash normally that bothers me and it didn't bother me in this episode, and I was wondering why. And I think it's just because they find the purity in this moment beyond, hey, just the narrative need to make sure everybody is on board with May knowing and Kid Von Strucker telling her and all of that. They find kind of the, the, the fictional truth in the matter, which is May as a cynic, May as a romantic cynic, May as somebody who keeps her heart closed off, she opened her heart to him, and now there's all of this just kind of flooding in. And it's it's really, a, you know, it's a sad moment, it's a profound moment, it's it's a very sorrowful moment, and uh, Ming-Na Wen only gets a couple of moments to actually play that, but it all comes across, and it kind of... I don't say whitewashes because it's not a mistake that they need to communicate things to the audience, but it kind of hides the, 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 the functional need in just this fantastic character moment, which is completely honest and earned as she realizes, oh, my goodness, this person who I loved is profoundly, <laughs> profoundly evil and villainous. And it's a catapult, too, because she goes about working the case here and in catching up with Daisy for the first time in a while we get the I've got to go talk to Andrew situation. Oh, where's he? He's at a training facility off-site. And we're whisked to uh, the the uh, code name The Cocoon, which, Matt, I know uh, you seem to think you know where it is. Well, I mean, the establishing shot that they had was, uh, let me get my directions here. It was it was from an eastward position looking at the island of Manhattan. So I believe that's Brooklyn, which means it's the coolest secret shield facility ever. Some of the people, Pete, they have handlebar mustaches and have uh, only um, goat cheese to eat. <laughs> and probably don't vaccinate. But uh, not far from uh, Hell's Kitchen either. Hmm. Hey, that that's true too. Let's are we going to see Pete? Is this the big spoilery reveal that Joey is going to be the new uh, the new connective tissue between the the broadcast and Netflix 
uh, corners of Marvel TV. Well, we're 10 days out here from uh, <clears throat> Jessica Jones, so you just never know. Wait, but Pete, you're saying between now and the next Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast episode that there's going to be the final Jessica Jones preview? It's seamless transition? <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> uh, there's going to be that thing. So if you're subscribed to the Pop Culture Podcast feed, we'll be talking Jessica Jones like before the next S.H.I.E.L.D. episode. It'll be great. And if you're not subscribed, get subscribed, kids. Get on that. Legit. Unless you're actually a kid, because seriously, Jessica Jones is like legitimately TV MA. And um, uh, yeah, I'm still bothered by some of the things that were uh, implied by the pilot. So looking forward <laughs> to that podcast. It's an excellent show. And uh, if you're watching Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., you've watched Daredevil. And if you haven't watched Daredevil, get on that now. You can get that in before Jessica Jones and be caught up. And, uh, yeah, we look forward to uh, bringing it all to you. We have seen the pilot already at New York Comic Con, and we'll be recording our final thoughts uh, no later than this weekend. First episode drops, uh, all episodes drop November 20th. But, Pete, you know what else drops is a fantasy of Andrews switching to Lash off camera, which I thought was a really nice kind of little trick there, uh, and killing Joey... But it's all in Andrew's head. Yeah, I I liked the idea here. You see Joey, who's uh, using his powers now. He's stoked he can create things. He can do so much more. He can control it now. And then what we're initially led to believe is, you know, a murder is actually uh, fantasy here of uh, Andrew killing Joey. Um who talks about how Daisy thinks he can be an asset to S.H.I.E.L.D. and admits that his fate is in Lash's hands. This, on first viewing, plays as kind of, oh man, we need an act end or something to kind of juice it up, you know, or to foretell Lash's evilness. Um, But in retrospect, I think it plays even better, which is to say Andrew is aware on some level of this monster inside him and he has rationalized it in a whole bunch of ways and how it's acceptable and how it's necessary and all of that but you know there really is this is this uh mr hyde inside him and you kind of for the purposes coincidentally of an act break or or at least at the the needs for an act break that's when they kind of give you that first little tip of he is aware of this thing inside him. This is not Mr. Hyde where Dr. Jekyll wakes up and goes, what? Whoa, all my torn clothes and such, you know, a la, you know, see the Hulk. It's not it's not that it's it's Andrew being aware. Act two, Bobby, bra, boo boo. Um, I in my notes, Bobby is dressing up just as one does. Nothing to see. Move along. Hunter comes in. And the two catch up, and uh, why, why, why linger, Pete, when there's great character interaction, which is what I want to talk about. Hunter is protecting her from the word threat. She feels that he does not need to protect her because she is a strong and independent woman, to which we say yes. Uh, and it was around this point on Twitter when a couple people were saying, oh my goodness, spoiler Pete. Your dumb theory that I hated last week, I'm starting to come around to. <laughs> she is she is in a family way, and and they made a baby, and that's beautiful. 
but this scene is about scars, uh, the physical and the mental and telling Hunter here that uh, she doesn't want to go after Ward anymore, that she's worried she's going to lose him, that they're going to lose themselves. We'll just have to find out in Marvel's Most Wanted. Coming, we anticipate, this summer. Um, with that, Pete, let me tell you what my notes say. And I want to preface this, especially since there's we have some really dedicated listeners who don't like it when we do anything that in any way shines a light on the limitations of budget or writing or anything. Uh, here's what my notes say. On Bus 2.0, there's a bus redress, which is to say this is, as far as I can remember, the first time that we're seeing kind of the uh, – the inner lounge area of Zephyr one. And it's a redress of the bus interior lounge set. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, It's noticeable enough. I think if you're, if you're watching carefully um, in that the show has a finite budget with an audience that is not big and a network, which is, you know, very generously renewing it and so on and so forth. You know, these things need to be done and that's okay. But just so you know, Zephyr One is a redress of the bus interior. Right, and Rosalind Price can now cross off her bucket list docking one plane on another. That's not a metaphor, Pete. In fact, the only way it could get more salacious is if there were two planes docking on the one plane. But, you know, that's that's outlawed in some places. But uh, with Daisy here to show her around, um, you know, that's not going to be awkward at all pete with that we move to uh some slightly oddly constructed um tension here i'm going to assume that even though the show didn't beat us over the heads with it i'm going to assume that when simmons gave fitz her phone to try and get information from it she wasn't counting on him getting information from it in the ways she had recorded it which was you know, audio stuff and video and huggy time with her her moon boo, um, because <laughs> because that's kind of what happens. Fitz opens the files on her phone. Uh, he sees the alien landscape, the alien selfie, the happy couple. Oh my! And Pete, how does that hit him in the particles? It hits him to where he hits other things. Um, I'm going to disagree. I think that. Simmons knew what she was doing, and though painful for Fitz, um, all part of the process, really for both of them, you know, looking at the camera, the Will Simmons selfie, uh, the recording here, um, some of which was reused from uh, that episode, two episodes ago, that... uh, you know, she thinks she's at one of the poles, that there's no sun, et cetera, et cetera. And, uh, you know, it, it's it's previewing where we will be later in the episode when that all comes to a head between the two of them. So, Pete, you're, you're saying that this is like just just a girl move of like, hey, can't tell you, but got to tell you, I have a, a no, spaceman no, friend. I mean that it's, I mean that in the relationship between the two of them, she knows what she has in, in fits. And, and this is an issue of trust and trusting him with it. He was the first one that she told uh, about wanting to go back. And um, 
you know, while he's got what would seem unrequited issues again, um, that there's this deepened relationship between the two of them. I uh, like that a lot better than my initial, you know, middle school, teehee, she likes me. <laughs> oh, no, she doesn't. Which, I mean, I, I was not saying for, for joking sake. I thought that's the the thread that perhaps was being suggested. But I, I, I really, Pete, I really appreciate your nuanced response there about the Fitzsimmons dynamic. Well, we go from there to the not-so-nuanced conversation between uh, – Joey Gutierrez and Andrew Garner here. Joey saying how, uh, you know, he was a wreck, but now he feels empowered as a construction guy. Just the idea he could build something that would take months. And Andrew points out, of course, or tear down. Um, But the knowledge that Daisy has been trying to put together a team of soldiers, those secret warriors, you know, that seem less like a secret each time we mention them. (laughs) Um, They said the thing. They said the thing. Well, they didn't say the thing. They're alluding to the thing. They they implied the thing. (laughs) They implied the thing. Um, But May uh, bursts in here, Matt. Indeed, she does, and there is a great, great reaction from uh, Blair Underwood's Andrew when May tells him that they need to talk. I know that the show does not commit narratively to the fact that he concretely knows she knows, but that's the reaction where he's that's been living this secret. What's that? Sure. That's how it's played for sure. Yeah, yeah. Well, that is say like as the scene on uh, as the scene after the the. Uh, you know, cutting to different stuff. As this portion of the story continues, he's he doesn't know that for sure at this moment, it turns out. But his fear of having been found out by this person who would be hurt by it the most all comes, not even bubbling up, it comes exploding up at this moment. And it's just, and this is why you get a pro like Blair Underwood to to perform this character because it's all just there in his face. And meanwhile, with Mac meeting with Lincoln, um, the idea that he forwards, uh, that Lash is in S.H.I.E.L.D. and he will help Mac prove it. Um, You know, two characters who have uh, formed a bond. And I like the way that Mac is kind of the patron saint of Inhumans, Daisy, Lincoln, uh, you know, from the human end and, and being able to bring them in there. I, I really like how they've uh, shaded his character in that support role. He's kind of, um, he he's blind to people's differences, which is really refreshing, particularly in the show that's essentially about a spy agency. And this season it's about a spy agency kind of maybe sort of learning to appreciate another spy agency and that couldn't possibly ever go wrong. Because, you know, well, we'll talk about that at the end of the episode. But I just kind of like that he has this objectivity in people and um, sees them as they are, at least tries to see people as they are. With Daisy showing the containment module to uh, Rosalind, pointing out that it's bulletproof, which is handy when people like you shoot at me. Um, and talking about, you know, Rosalind confesses that time's not a luxury they've had, that, uh, 
you know, they're not throwing people away, but she admits she's afraid and uh, that, uh, you know, you don't know your own strength is a very valid point she brings up with uh, Daisy. Um, you know, the, the tension that increased there, um, you know, one veteran actress, one coming into her own, uh, really well done. It was, and it, it, it's a great bit of nuance, not to not to overuse the word. It, just this notion that, you know, like, ooh, Roz, you're afraid of the Inhumans. And for Roz to just turn around and say, yes, there is a true th- threat out there. It's a great reminder that there are, you know, there are good Inhumans, there are bad Inhumans. And uh, I, I like, frankly, that the show even wades, albeit briefly, into mentioning guns and gun violence and all of that which is to say you know this is an issue the inhuman thing we'll we'll leave the gun discussion for for i don't know the fantastic geek pod, pod politics podcast or whatever but coming just, ever <laughs> coming never because that would be a that wouldn't be fun um just this idea of you know Roz, at least as far as we know at this point in the story Roz is coming from this place of genuine concern for trying to do the right thing. And even if that means getting her hands dirty or making some tough calls, she wants to work for the greater good, which is, you know, that's always an admirable goal. And hopefully you get there through admirable means. Yeah. And the aspect here back to the, uh, the May Garner situation where she's looked into what he's been doing um, you know, the, the flight logs, the uh, deleted blood work, um, that he was placed uh, miles away from multiple inhuman deaths, everything that's gone on there and admitting that she was with uh, the Von Strucker kid and he had this look on him. Um, you know, the tension from one scene carried over to the next. Really, really well done. And of course, ending with uh, an act end that had me speechless that he just gets angrier and angrier until he ices her. Regretfully, though. (laughs) Regretfully, perhaps still he does the deed. Yeah, but he had this look on here that, you know, was different from all the other stuff. When, you know, we've seen him act before, there's been this malevolence on his face and obviously may it's very clear his feelings for her and, you know, that coming across in the performance. As act three begins uh, again with the Simmons narration, she's three weeks into her sojourn to the alien landscape here. Uh, She's talking about how she needs to find something to eat and uh, nice, conversation uh, one-sided conversation obviously talking about how when she met um, Fitz he was uh, quiet uh, pasty and smart unlike now where he's still less quiet (laughs) (laughs) Pete it's only at this point uh, literally as we record that it occurs to me that so much of this um, Fitzsimmons story is essentially just just kind of a holding pattern from previous weeks, setting up future weeks, so on and so forth. None of it plays like that. None of it plays like, all right, this is what we just have to do to keep the story alive. There, There's just such an organic quality to Fitz 
essentially watching an episode of Agents of Shield. Uh, but but it just works. It's one of those things where you know you wonder if perhaps the writers' room should have should have uh, taken it off the old uh, you know the old wall there because it's just going to be recappy type stuff. But there's just a charm here. I mean, it's the, probably just the Fitzsimmons charm, the Ian DeCacaster and Elizabeth Henstridge charm. Um, but it works and has these emotional revelations, and it's all wonderful. But it's a reminder, too, of where they are. You know, her bringing up, um, imagining their date um, when obviously that's going to happen, yet, you know, her emotional state and the since confession that, you know, she met somebody in this uh, alien encounter um, changes it and, and reminds us where they are in terms of their relationship. But then, Matt, you know, to, to go from that, to go all the way to Culver University old administrative building, which has to be the most mundane tag they have ever given us for a specific <laughs> place. Uh, Pete, it's, it's narrative expediency. It's old, therefore it's abandoned. It's an, an administrative building, therefore it doesn't look like a classroom. And it's a building... Because it has four walls around it and allows you to shoot indoors uh, at nighttime um, on a soundstage. It's kind of like when when Hydra is hanging out someplace, you know, they have a guy welding. (laughs) Indeed. And so, so pleased to see that that's starting to take off a little bit on Twitter. Had a couple tweets about, uh, you know, uh, you know, times are good when Hydra guys are in the background welding. Yeah, Hydra. But... uh, this conflict between uh, Garner and May, she's handcuffed here. And, uh, you know, he confesses that he wanted to tell her that, uh, you know, he didn't know what to do, but he's afraid that instinct will take over. And it's the aforementioned flashback we talked about how, you know, Zhang Ying had rigged what we find out a couple scenes later was her ledger was in human genealogy, um, which we're going to talk more about in uh, level seven, but uh, that he had to suddenly be near other inhumans and he, Matt, lashed out. I, I don't, I don't understand. He, he, he lashed out. He hulked out, but he's lashed, not Hulk. <laughs> yes, indeed. He does lash out. I, if there's something slightly janky about how he got turned, I mean, look, let's let's not forget that it's all under the umbrella of this is like a magic space crystal thing. So uh, part of me wants to be like, well, that's not the rules of how it works. Okay, sometimes fish eat it and it becomes a supplement and sometimes it's a crystal in a diviner and sometimes it's like a booby trap in a book like it's all good it's all good it makes andrew lash that works it's fine but in the other flashback that happens here after he has killed one of the inhumans that the uh the revelation that may was outside the door when that happened she nearly caught him he talks about how you know he was a coward he didn't end it because he was no longer in love with uh, May. He was worried about what would happen here. But uh, 
she's obviously convinced he needs help. With that, speaking of help, we have Roz and Colson. Roz is going to help him tie his tie. Pete, you know, we've had people take off necklaces before, and that's that's pretty serious. But putting ties on, that's 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 special. And with the transition, worrying about a workplace romance gone wrong to, to go to a budding workplace romance, um, or at least a workplace uh, hookup and then eggs, um, you know, interestingly timed, of course. I like that we've gotten back to some buttoned-up Colson, but ironically at a time when he's left himself more vulnerable than ever. Uh, wow. Well, well said there. It certainly is nice to see Clark Gregg back in the suit. Um, I hope they stick with it just because I don't know. I feel like that's, that's Colson there, you know? Um, but I get that it's also, you know, as the boss, he can, he can make casual Friday every day. But she doesn't buy the shark attack story on the hand. We, we get the, the sharing of the details there. The little bit of uh, over-the-top, on-the-nose, phantom pain, you know, hard to forget. Blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, but seeing what's in front of you when all this is going on here uh, should, should shine a spotlight, Matt, come next week. I don't understand that reference, having uh, not... I have no knowledge of what will happen next week. It was not a reference. Oh. Well, okay. A prediction, perhaps? We'll see. We'll see what happens. Um, Daisy is uh, uh, told there's another... Or tells them, rather, there's another Quinjet requesting to dock. Of course, it is Mac and Lincoln. And... uh, Lincoln explains that uh, those at Afterlife were trained to blend in. And uh, again, the detail about the Zhaying ledger, um, that it's not possible uh, that this could be Garner, but uh, that comes around entirely too quick, makes sense and clicks for these characters who reroute for New York. The president will have to wait, Matt. (laughs) <laughs> that was a great line. I, I thought that they slightly, they added a little bit too much drama to Andrew. Is. Lash. Given that we, the audience, know that. Um, that said, it certainly is a, you know, it's a well-earned moment for the characters learning it for the first time. Uh, also, just want to point out, thank goodness they are in a Zephyr 1 jet and not a, not a real jet. Because they get from almost Colorado to New York City really, really fast. Yeah, yeah. And despite the fact that, uh, you know, Lincoln is upset that Garner has killed dozens of them here, he talks about how um, Garner's appearance is temporary, that eventually he will stay lashed, that it'll be irreversible, and that the man that they know is disappearing. That is a good bit of exposition because. A, it makes sense. B, it gives them that wiggle room to be doing Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, but to be saying Mr. Hyde will take over, so act before he is at full power. And it's it, it, it kind of was a missing piece to the story that I don't think we knew was missing until it was added. Then you say, aha, now that adds even extra tempo to the episode. 
May asks uh, Garner if he was going to hurt Joey, and of course he denies it. Um, says that Lincoln has a dark side that they're not aware of. And he brings up uh, Bahrain and how she saved... Um, did she save the child? No, she didn't save the child. She, she had, saved bunches of people by she, by, she, by doing the, the deed. Had taken the child out. Um, and was... The, these were interesting scenes to veteran actors and really playing off one another well with some complex material. <laughs> it's funny, Pete. I had the exact same thought in this scene. You know, back in 1988 or 1990, did these two actors think they still would be going on a primetime drama all these years later, still be, you know, getting interesting parts and so on and so forth? And it's such a pleasure to see the two of them working with each other, working off each other. And also a reminder in this scene that Andrew is the hero of his own story. And, you know, we don't agree with his methodology or we don't agree that he's, you know, mostly randomly just killing other inhumans. But, you know, he finds a purpose in it. And that, of course, makes him uh, much more of an interesting baddie. Our fourth act here is really uh, driven by this relationship between May and Garner and the recap about their first apartment suddenly interrupted by Coulson uh, with a one-liner, still waiting on Joey's reassessment. <laughs> the line that got me, though, on the scene was when Andrew says to me, please don't give up on me. I mean, it, it just shows this... Um, it shows this tenderness to him. It shows the the fear that on some level he recognizes that he's losing control. Um, that said, with Colson arriving, the scene then then quickly, which already had the feeling of a swan song, now it kind of has the feeling of a death march. And uh, I don't think it takes any uh, any great analysis to really get the sense that uh, Andrew is on his way out here. The idea between you know what was going to happen to Joey. He was going to kill him. Uh, it was only a matter of time and his closeness to May. I think we have to look at Garner being a threat to everyone in his life, particularly with the disclosure that Lincoln made that eventually it's going to take him over. Um, and that's what makes the resolution of the story in this episode so powerful. But, uh, you know, we're, we're moving pieces into place, pawns, if you will, Matt, through this act. You know, Mac is suddenly on the scene talking about the containment module. Uh, you know, Daisy is moving into place. Uh, Price reminds uh, ATCU soldiers, oh, remember, this is Coulson's op. Yeah, right. Okay. Lincoln is in position. Um you know, that Garner says he was simply trying to sort the good from the bad. You know, obviously, Coulson points out that's a poor interpretation as a therapist. Um, yeah. Pete, one thing that uh, 
I found great about this act, and, and even before they kind of make use of it for the act end, is great location. This kind of you know building where the hallways lead to a central atrium, uh, an open central section. There's a couple of camera shots where it's like you know sky on the fourth floor going left and somebody else on the third floor going right it's just really selling kind of this this really um simultaneously open uh location but it also has this feeling of like the crappiest 1970s era like office building like oh it's gonna be great man and then we'll paint it all brown and like put you know like indoor outdoor carpeting in the interior halls like it feels like this abandoned admin building while also giving you just really interesting shots. And then all of a sudden Roz meets the, 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 the meets the atrium. But uh, what Garner talked about with this moral responsibility that you'll see soon, I I thought that was a very pregnant line, Matt. And, And while there's some quick debate here, before things go all actiony, Lincoln comes in and, and starts problems talking about, you know, who made you judge, jur- jury, and executioner. And with the ATCU closing in, you know, Lash saying he's the cure and they fight, um, you know, the idea is that they're still trying to capture um lash garner as opposed to kill him but colson's gotta try to get lincoln on the same page and i mean if you're looking for metaphor in the episode here it is when lincoln is saying you know this is the way we are uh you know appreciate us for it or leave us alone at the very least but let us live our life and and you know lash kind of holding this uh this high moral code here of no you don't have a right to be the way you are uh, also want to mention Pete from that kind of you know lofty connection to life. Uh, really great lighting of Lincoln when he's holding the Powerball. I'm assuming they had some kind of lighting element simply between his hands that was then you know covered up by right. the the special effect. That said, however they did it, and even if it was just like guy with a blue light bulb on a stick, like it's just really cool to see how he is lit and how clearly he's being lit from the thing between his hands, even though we know that's not a real thing. So low tech solution, high tech solution, great effect. Well, Marvel shares the parent company, uh, Disney with star Wars and star Wars started doing this in the production of the force awakens. They had characters hold, uh, lightsabers that were lit up for the first time as temps so that they could get that beautiful resonant light and then they rotoscoped the effect in uh, for the prop itself so I'm going to say that that's a little uh, in-house production share given how well it comes across I can't wait for you to see it in the movie theater next month Pete, how is it that you always get these advanced copies mailed to you? One day we will find out who the source is. But I'll tell you who uh, is about to find out the source of her troubles. That's Roz being held in that atrium, dangled. And Pete, it's the moment of highest uh, uh, conflict in the act. So what do we do? We're going to go to a break. But before that, you know, you mentioned the, the effect and we talk about that. You know, that Lash was about to perform the coup de grace there that he stopped by Mac, who's then dropped. That Coulson makes use of his uh, robot hand there to to try to stop Garner. 
before this winds up with, you know, Rosalind's fate literally in Lash's hands to end the fourth act. Lash obviously drops Price here to open act five. Uh, Coulson, entirely emotional reaction, um, you know, fitting with what takes place later in the episode. And Daisy, of course, saves her. Coulson didn't know she could do that. Neither did she. Wait, Pete, that means that all Inhumans and their powers aren't all bad. No, because that would be one-dimensional. For Roz, it's the more you know. Yeah. Dun, 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 dun. They they talk up the containment module again, so we are reminded that that's in play, which makes a little bit of what happens hollow. Um, but with this Lincoln lash-off here, May gets in between, and, uh, you know, she talks about how she thought about her death many times, all the different ways to go. She never thought it would be Andrew. Uh, that he was kind, he was empathetic, and, and she was always different from that. And it was interesting that they chose to revert him here um, before she shot him. And it's revealed that, you know, she didn't know it wouldn't kill him. And he goes into the containment module and then he transforms and is gassed, it looks like. I don't know if he was gelled at the same time. I think that for emotional purposes, it makes sense for him to be in human form because that's that's to the be in human <laughs> form, not be in human form. <laughs> Indeed, let me try that again, yeah, yeah. Pete. For emotional purposes, it makes sense for him to be in the form of the standard Homo sapien uh, type and not the Lasho sapien that he has become. Um, because this is the Andrew that May has dealt with. You then have the added kind of, you know, if we if we freeze, if we put him on pause, then we can bring back Blair Underwood perhaps sometime in the future. So I think it's just kind of win-win here, and it's emotions leading the story first, which is always the best instinct. Coming off that highest emotional point, though, even higher than Roz was dangling at the end of Act 4, to get with Fitz and Bobby and Hunter here. Um, what was this talk about uh, with the picture Hawkface? What? <laughs> uh, Hunter, it's difficult with the accent. It sounded like they said that uh, Will has a hawk face. Oh, hog face. Okay, it sounded like hawk face, and even hog face doesn't, yeah, not neither resonates well. Pete, in in the United States, you would say he looks like a pig. That's what he's saying, but he's using the king's English, yo. Yeah, didn't really work there, but the mission patch, the Pathfinder mission patch, is something that Fitz has keyed in on. Um, that it looks reminiscent of the symbol they had seen elsewhere that uh, Bobby brings up this ancient order here and that anything is possible. Um, meanwhile, Mac asks Lincoln if he will be staying, who uh, admits, you know, he can't run forever. And um, Price... Wait, Pete, 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 hold on. You're telling me that 
you're telling me that the guy who they added to the main cast, who we haven't <laughs> seen much from, now he's going to hang around with the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.? I think so. Well, wow. he can't run forever, Matt. But uh, Price talks about Andrew's stasis here, something that Daisy obviously has been critical of and, you know, extends the olive branch of asking her, you know, what she would do when she admits it's a temporary solution, but she would do whatever it takes uh, and that Roz would do whatever it takes for a loved one here and May comes down on the side of, of doing it. Um, and then we get this uh, personal moment, the, the continuance of many between Coulson and uh, Rosalind Price. Indeed, Pete, it's a moment where uh, either sparks fly or drinks clink. Yeah, but the idea that, uh, you know, he holds back from going after May or Daisy, one of them, a her, it's never quite specified, um, that uh, she wouldn't want it and uh, that their long day needs to end uh, somehow. And speaking of the long day ending, we cut to Fitz telling Simmons, you know, as they're getting ready to watch the sun rise, that he has found something, maybe. Yeah, and he's fixed the SIM card and he admits to having, you know, listened to the log and seen the recordings. Um, She screwed up a detail, apparently, with Scotland uh, to be able to express that and have a laugh about it at the same time bring up that uh she was tired and dehydrated but she's got to point out she was as clear-headed as ever um it, it it's a nice moment for the two of them and only cements this evolving relationship between not background characters but secondary characters on the show it's it's an incredibly charming scene, and, and and I mean obviously the two of them just gel so so wonderfully together. So of course the scene works. Pete, what I like is the uh, the little kind of uh, I don't know writerly directorly swagger here. They watch the sunrise. Cut to the same sunrise. May is in a plane, looking at the sunrise, thinking about Andrew. Love is orange. Yeah, and, and having the flashback here, and obviously the overt subject of her happiness, you you feel for May because she's never really experienced much of that on this show. The tag scene for this episode is Ward and Powers Booth's still unnamed on-screen character here, talking about how the Van Strucker kid could wake up, so it's put into play that he's still alive. Ward calls him weak. The uh, subject of his location comes up here. But uh, Powers Booth warns that this is uh, temporary, um, that he should be, Ward should be looking on a grander scale here. And what more grand scale than what Ward lays out? He's going to cut off the head of S.H.I.E.L.D. and without Coulson, it will not grow back. It's at this time that he receives a call. And it is Ms. Price um, who uh, apologizes for uh, having missed their meeting here today at NORAD. Uh, 
he gives her a rather uh, loaded line here that time is of the essence. And it's at this point that we see that uh, Coulson is in her house with his tie off, Matt. And Pete, she was buttoning the top button of her blouse. That is suggestive that uh, the the other buttons were undone. And Pete, I think that they both had their shirts off, perhaps to catch some of the sun rays to tan together, also completely naked. I hope they didn't wreck the bat or any of her other precious belongings we saw last week. The dossier. Detailed look at our bad guys. First up, Matt Lash. Uh, definitely a bad guy, Pete. I'm starting to suspect that he's out just randomly killing inhumans for reasons that make sense only to him. The subject of his pending permanent transformation is an interesting thing to throw out there. It gives you an end date in terms, really, of the character's viability. Obviously, the stasis gel can put a hold on that. You're not going to ice figuratively, not literally, a, a actor like Blair Underwood. So I would imagine we're going to get a pretty, uh, you know, timely resolution on this. Uh, I'm going to be a little less committed to it. I think that if they want to return to it, they can. But I think it's kind of like... I think that they are saying maybe we return, question mark, as opposed to, oh, it's going to be fantastic in April when he returns and rah, 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 you know. Ward and Powers Booth here in the end scene and with just a couple episodes here till the fall finale, we turned a narrative corner with uh, the, the game, at least between the two of them, laid out. We do. I wish that we had more Ward and Ward doing more in these episodes. You know, I, I, that's just not where the story is at. I kind of worry for uh, the status of Brett Dalton's character. And I say it that way, just, you know, do they reach a point where they're like, and we kill Ward because we haven't been able to think of things to do with him for an entire season. Uh, I don't want that. I don't want that for the actor. I don't want that for the character. But just something I'm a little fearful of that uh he's increasingly disposable or or maybe increasingly disposable and then she's got to wind up there in light of the way this episode ends Roz price oh absolutely i think that the the nefarious implication i mean it's even more than an implication it would almost be ill-fitting of the show to not um have her return to baddie status now that there's been this revelation where she's connected to who I like to call Marvel Powers Booth. Um, I'm, I'm going to say that that's the name of the character. He's playing a Marvel version of himself. Um, but I mean, I like this turn of, oh, we don't trust her. Okay, we kind of trust her. Oh, Coulson trusts her. Now we can't trust her. I, I, I think that's where the character is going to settle. I worry too that they've made Coulson a little two-dimensional with him getting involved with Roz. Um, he's not a stupid character. And, you know, we, we know, obviously, this is not going to work out. Um, 
I'm very interested to see how this resolves as well. I think that the show has shown in 51 episodes that they sometimes don't know what to do with the character of Coulson. I mean, either he's front and center with brain stuff or, you know, follow me. I am the good voice of, of shield. But when he's not those things, like they're not, you know, there's just, there's these occasional times where they're not quite sure what to do with the character. And if that's because they're focusing on other characters, that's okay. But I think you're seeing a little bit of that now where they know how this is going to end up with, Oh man, you broke Clark Gregg's heart. Now I don't like you. But until we get there, there's just a little bit of of kind of uh, slightly muddy roads. Shades of episode two, former Latin girlfriend. <laughs> indeed, indeed. Welcome to level seven. Time to analyze and theorize. Matt, I feel like we might need a little bit of an inhuman... Um, refresher the subject here is andrew and his inhuman transformation correct me if i'm wrong and you know we're a year almost a year into inhumans on the show coming up into late november early december last year um didn't you need to have the alien DNA to be awakened by the Terrigen mist was Andrew Garner, you know, OG. Was he? Was he? You know, the the Cree blood, everything that uh, the Daisy is, or are just random people getting this now? It's not quite clear. Is that as one of your favorite new terms right now? Narrative expediency. Um. You know, it's something I have not thought about since the inhuman, the nature of inhumans was first introduced around this time last year. Uh, I would agree with everything as you have just described it. Uh, I think that if anybody might have the um, the Cree blood in them that can be awakened, then that means that anybody who they need to can become an inhuman, which okay, that's within the rules originally set forth and that also suits the the narrative needs. So I agree it's a bit, it seems a bit like, uh uh-oh, if you get the magic dust, then you become a bad guy with superpowers or maybe a good guy. Um, If that is standing on the framework of, because you have the thing with the DNA and the stuff that we discussed a year ago and we're not going to kind of backtrack into, you know, like science jurassic park type you know and then the Cree blood comes in and it replaces you know some of your dna like if if you don't want to go back and do that and just say all right the jurassic audience... park dna man did you just do that absolutely <laughs> um so i guess what i'm saying is this it can be whatever they need it to be st- and still be within the rules that they have set forth i'll 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 allow it Uh, Here's the other thing that occurred to me from a level seven perspective in this episode. So Andrew is put into inhuman stasis in this facility that uh, the ATCU has. We, we didn't name check the secret warriors, but we several times referred to an army that Daisy's trying to put together soldiers Matt, they're essentially like all in one place right now. 
in in containment gel. Um, yeah, I don't think we could put it on a T any better. <laughs> um, especially with what we're assuming is three episodes left for the fall finale, that would be one heck of a one heck of a zinger until the spring to go like, you know, cut to Daisy pushing the button and all the red lights turn green and it goes power up awaken mode whoop, whoop. i've done it i've unleashed cut to close up the secret warriors boom agent of shield will return in the spring it's it, like you said pete it's teed up it's ready to go transmissions. open the mailbag matt let's check the wire Pete, we got a couple of emails in response to last week's episode. First, from our pal, Henry Perno. He says, well, my mom was wrong about Lash's identity. Wish she was right now. Andrew equals Lash plus crazy. Now I'm going to lash, no pun intended, out and say that twist left me shocked. Few TV events do that to me, and this did. Henry goes on to say, also from me... Uh, I don't blame, so he's speaking as himself, not his mom's point of view here. I don't blame Rosalind for wanting to cure the Inhumans from what she told Coulson. I really don't, but that uh, won't stop me from saying she's nuts for thinking suspending humans is okay. Truly worthy of being episode 50. Can't wait to celebrate other momentous milestones in the future. So some, uh, some positive notes there from Henry. Absolutely. Thanks, Henry. My biggest issue with the um, Garner as Lash reveal is that he was in Baltimore to attack the van with uh, Daisy and Mac inside of it and then back somehow quickly to uh, where was it? Ohio, where the uh, the school is. Um, seemed the again, you know, can he rip portals and space-time, again, we've not fully explored his stuff, but, you know, they, they, they made a choice. Obviously, they've avoided, averted the, the comic roots of the character, and uh, I at least applaud them for changing it up. With that, Pete, we move on to an email from Mike Sorensen. Uh, he says, a few notes on the episode slash podcast. I agree with everything you guys were talking about. This episode, again, he's talking about uh, last week's episode, just didn't have the tight narrative that the show usually graces us with. A few hiccups here and there aren't a problem, but this was, as you said in other words, nearly a textbook example of a filler episode. There was truly no character slash story progression other than the last reveal that was really anticlimactic, even with all the WTF-type comments on Twitter. Lash reveal episode. <laughs> uh, Mike goes on to say, uh, you discussed May when they kicked the doors in. There were three bad guys, not counting the aptly dubbed, thank you, Mike, KVS in the room. They were all visible at least four to five feet away from the door when mocking May came through. And yes, May had her sidearm in her hand. Uh, nothing happens for about five seconds. Nothing at all on either side. And then the head henchman said something suddenly and... I said something, and suddenly one of the guys was right on top of May, knocking the gun out of her hand. Uh, Mike goes on to explain that there's no way the bad guy should have ever had enough time to get that close and knock the gun out of her hand. You know, I, something we had discussed, certainly, but um, kind of, uh, I, Pete, I feel a little, uh, I, I feel strengthened by Mike's 
thoughtful email here that, you know, it's okay to acknowledge that that episode 50 wasn't the bee's knees and wasn't wasn't the most amazing thing we'd ever seen and wasn't worthy of two and a half hours of of, you know, just licking the show like it's candy. Two things. One, I want Mike Sorensen in my, you know, fact checking department when I'm running a TV show, uh, particularly when it comes to firearms. And two, it's funny that you mentioned that, Matt, because I have an iTunes review. I have two uh, that I'd like to read here. Um, the first was left on November 4th by uh, TCSI, and it is headlined Two Negative, and it gives us two stars, which is, and I wear this like a badge of honor. This is our lowest ever non-coward review. Somebody put words with this. So it reads, these guys used to be my fave shield podcast, but this season, the majority of their reviews are negative and tend to mock the show ellipse, a show which I happen to like, or I wouldn't be searching out podcasts to hear more about it. I've been a listener to this podcast since Shield's first season, but after the most recent edition, where they totally mocked the writing of the episode, I'm sadly removing it from my feed. It's just not fun anymore, guys. Pete, doing a podcast, being involved in writing about a TV show uh you know on a web page on a blog whatever it might be interacting with people on twitter it's all about three little letters pete and 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 i wish that 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 reviewer was still listening to hear these three little letters because it's all about this f u n it's all about fun okay if your kind of fun is to say hey you know what i didn't like 150th of what you did as a podcast for Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., uh, I'm going to give you a lousy review. If that's your kind of fun, I say, you know what? You go with your bad self. But, Pete, let's draw back the curtain a little bit. I want to tell everybody this podcast for last don't, don't week. Don't do it. What? Don't, don't do it. Don't do, Pete, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. You can't hold me back. Pete, we know that most of the people who listen, it's a jolly good time. They're having fun with us. They're, sometimes they're agreeing, sometimes they're disagreeing. We know we have some listeners out there who, you know, we are we are honored to just give, I don't know, an hour of a little chuckle here and there as they're going through through busier stuff or more difficult stuff in their life, whatever it might be. Last week's podcast, some of the references we made to difficult technical stuff. Here's what the difficult technical stuff was, okay? This this offending episode where only we and you know Mike Sorensen and other people on Twitter found the writing to be imperfect uh, and as i think stephanie on twitter said you guys just reviewed the episode like it wasn't overly negative here's the circumstances under which last week's episode was recorded i was on vacation i was trying to not speak too loudly as i sat in the bathroom of my hotel room sitting on the tile using the toilet as a desk Try not to speak too loud to wake my sleeping wife and child because we have fun doing this podcast. And vacation is fun too, but darn it, we want to get with everybody in the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. community and share our thoughts and hear your thoughts, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, 
kind of ironic there that on a, on a week where I was texting you nonstop going, Pete, is this just because I'm in a happier place on Earth than than the agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. are? Is this why I'm finding think, the writing to be a little weak? And you're saying, no, they're kind of, this is not the strongest episode. And we reviewed it as such. We didn't dump on the episode, even though we were in a room where... At least I was in a room. You were not. You were thousands, you know, 1,500 miles away via the glory of Skype. But I was in a room where literal, you know, dumps occur. We were not dumping on this episode. We were just having fun from my vacation bathroom getting this episode out. That's it. The pride that I have always taken in all of our podcasts is that we play it down the middle. Okay. Um, we do Marvel stuff and we do tend to think that Marvel does it better than others. I think you'd have a hard time looking objectively and not saying that's the case. That aside, we shoot it down the middle on what Marvel offers. And when it's great, Daredevil, it's great. When there's times that it needs to be called out, we're going to do that. Last week was one of those times. And again, if you want one fiftieth of this to represent it and that we've been negative and mocking an entire episode, I think you're making a mountain out of a molehill. I have one more review to read, Matt. This one was left November 9th uh, by Peaches, period, Flossberg. Uh, and the headline here is good podcast. Once you get over these two parentheses or they get over themselves, but don't hold your breath Four stars. Interesting. And it reads, this podcast gives a thorough recap of the show from two guys who understand the show and the Marvel Universe very well. If they spent less time trying to be the smartest guy in the room and less time trying to out-smartest guy in the room each other, it would be even better. But regardless, highly recommended. Well, Pete, the, the, all of that is a compliment to my ears. Okay, long-time listeners, you know, people who go all the way back to before there was a Fantastic Geek might know this story, but a lot of people don't. To me, the touchstone that I always reach for in the podcasts we do and in, in the podcasts that that came before Fantastic Geek and, and all the way back to my first podcast, even before looking back at Lost, the touchstone has always been uh, a lost podcast called Lost Casts, which quickly got the reputation of being the thinking person's lost podcast. So are there times where we're making somewhat, uh, you know, we're making jokes at each other or are trying to out-reference each other? Hopefully that's part of the fun. Um, the fact that uh, the fact that we're bringing a thoughtful approach to to what we do, that's what we do. So I say... Thank you, Peaches. And and thank you. And I want to thank them both. Um, but listen, hey, you know, there's a reason why we're on Clark Gregg's iPhone, why we're on Ming-Na Wen's iPhone, why interviews with both of them are on our website and our iTunes feed. So, yeah, uh, it's all part of that. But you know what? We want to know what you think. 
Um, we're never going to do an episode where we're reading an hour and a half of mail. You know, that's for those other podcasts. But, uh, you know, let, let's, let's hear from our listeners here in terms of uh, the iTunes reviews. I, I have a feeling they feel a lot differently. Yeah, definitely would love to hear from more people. Maybe if you're sitting there kind of shaking your head in agreement or or lack of agreement, um, would love to hear hear some more people's thoughts on iTunes. You know, it's funny, Pete, about three weeks ago, I I left, uh, you know, not under the Fantastic Geek name, but I left a, a negative review on a podcast I've been listening to for a while on a podcast that, that has meant a lot to me. How Just, far did you go? Pete, not as far as you might think, but I know what it takes to kind of, uh, well, if nothing else, to just sit there and go, yikes, what exactly do I want to say here on an iTunes review? So we appreciate anybody getting off the getting off the, uh, the headphones and leaving a review, especially one with words. I mean, as you said, Pete, it's the real cowards who just go, mm, one star because I don't like you. I agree. At and least back it, it up with your words. Those two I people... Any, you are completely entitled to your opinion. Here's the thing. Don't be wrong. <laughs> Pete, on that note, what is the right way that people can interact with you on Twitter? You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R. Uh, 6,629 followers can't be wrong and while i am personally on twitter as looking back lost you can be in touch with the podcast in a whole host of ways for what we are assuming are the remaining three weeks of this uh this fall block of agents of shield episodes we are a fantastic geek that is fantastic with a ph and you can find us under that name on the gmail like mike Sorensen and harry perno did the dot com like so many of you do and the twitter as we all had a great time on twitter this evening but wait pete there's more Facebook.com forward slash Fantastic Geek with the PH, all one word, like us today. And just a reminder with that end date of, we believe, three episodes, rumblings, there could be a fourth, uh, the take it to 11, the halfway mark, true halfway mark on a 22-episode season by the time we're taking a shield hiatus there and come December. Um, that every time you uh, share with a non-follower uh, or a liker or anybody who's already connected with our stuff, um, we're uh, logging those and you will be entered into a drawing for something you may want to win come that fall finale. Pete, it's been sitting sitting here since, uh, since June and uh, it's looking to... Uh... It's looking to fly on to its new home. Well, with that, Pete, I will say adios to all our listeners until we meet again uh, later this week for the Jessica Jones podcast. And if not then, then uh, one week from now for the next exciting adventure of the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast. And with that, Pete, I give you the final word. We're working on a grander scale here. Oh.